Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast, where people and companies can learn the inner game of service and tap into the fullest power of the service opportunity. So join me and let's master the service mindset together and up-level service the world over. And I encourage you to check out my partner, the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness, which is on a mission to help people and companies to incorporate mindfulness into their culture and raise performance, efficiency, general happiness, and everything that we want from going to work. So link is in the show notes for you to go deeper into that as well as the mindful service movement. All right, let's get started. All right, welcome, friends. Welcome. Good times ahead. I've got my friend Neil Woodson back, and he wanted to do a really fun-sounding episode where we are just kind of dialoguing back and forth, like a lot of those conversations we have talking about all those challenges professionals and whole organizations have with service, and of course the possibilities that open up when people shift their relationship to the work. I tend to look at how those shifts can be made from the inside out. Neil looks at how those shifts can be made from the top down at the organizational level. I think both are equally important. Those are just the instruments each of us know how to play best. And when we get together, we make beautiful music. Neil's a one-of-a-kind fella when it comes to service. He has a background in the industry that goes way deeper than mine. And I was first attracted to his work when I learned that he was not only a published author and a coach and consultant, but also the resident service coach for an organization where he developed this internal talent development system that sounded totally one of a kind. And he's since been packaging that system and making it translatable into other organizations so that they can create their own self-sufficient internal system of coaching their staff into being the happiest, healthiest, most inspired team member that they can be. I think his approach is something that more organizations need to take advantage of because he actually teaches managers how to be teachers and coaches, which makes the organization able to continually develop their staff from mindset to skill to whatever they need to be nurtured and grow. And they can do this without bringing in an outsider all the time. They can become their own self-sustaining engine of team support, which will save them a lot of money. Uh, I should know. I am a coach, and <laughs> I'm not always that cheap, though pretty reasonable for a coach, I would say. Not to mention, it's better for culture. Simply put, the team knows they have managers that care about their growth, and these are managers that are able to specifically serve their growth in ways that an outside coach possibly cannot on a daily, continual, ongoing basis. That truly does make a difference, though there is a role for outside coaches, thank God, because that means that I'm employed, <laughs> but actually changing the culture like this pays unbelievable dividends. Anyway, that's just one key aspect of his mission, and you can check out more about what he can offer you in the show notes. There's links everywhere in case you want to dig deeper. All right, without further ado, my my delightful, inspiring, and 
surprisingly focused conversation with Neil Woodson. I only say surprisingly because when I'm involved, sometimes I'll grab the ball and run in a million tangents. But actually, we stayed quite dialed in to the topics of compassion, work culture, dealing with difficult people and how work cultures can help make that easier, etc. So if that sounds interesting to you, buckle up. You are in for a treat. Thank you, Stefan. I, I really appreciate, you know, being on your, your show because um, we've become friends over the last oh, eight months or so and um, talked a lot on the phone about a lot of things. And I, um, I really do appreciate that. So, um, so what makes me tick? What's, uh, you know, uh, I, I really am a big believer in, in service and what it can do for the world and what it can do for us. And so what I do is, is I'm a service coach. And in fact, I just started a business called Service Coach. And what uh, I want to do is to make and help companies um, serve their stakeholders better. And by stakeholders, I mean employees, customers, um, communities, and, and shareholders and investors. And um, because I think if we can shift the world of work, um, we can shift the world at home and we can shift the world that we deal with as customers because we're all customers. And I, I think overall we can make life better for people. So that's kind of my passion and what I, I like to do. And I, I like to talk to leaders. I like to talk to people in the workplace. I, I'll talk to anybody about this stuff. So um, it's, it's my thing. So, you know, what it was interesting last week, you and I got on a call and we just started talking about a hundred things. And we came up with this idea to just make a podcast that was just a dialogue. And I want to start by asking you something. And I want to throw the ball into your end of the court. And I want to talk about empathy for a minute. Because lately, I have seen so much stuff about empathy. I've seen articles about it. I've seen people talking about it. I just keep hearing empathy come up. And I'm wondering, in your opinion, in your, your experience, why is that? And if that is in case, indeed the case, what should we all be doing about it? How, what do we need to be doing differently? Because the, the, the word on the street is empathy is dying and we need to do something about it. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Hmm. Word on the street is empathy is dying. I have heard studies where, um, you know, university students were showing less empathy and like empathy tests and stuff, uh, especially because of this sort of isolated, highly digital world. Um, that's a possible effect. And so everyone thinks, you know, we need to double down on empathy uh, because it's so important for caring for and understanding others. Um, however, you know, uh, given the fact that uh, despite what, um, it looks like sometimes um, things aren't getting worse. In fact, they're believed to be getting better in terms of the general violence and discord in the world um, compared to like the past. So, you know, in, in a sense, there is a certain, I think, understanding of others that's come from maybe this highly connected world. It's just kind of different. And it's something that's like, maybe not making it through to the like emotional tests of empathy. Somehow we do have an understanding of others. And I think that's what's so important about empathy is just that that ability to just take a moment and view another person um, 
as human. But it's, it's not just that. It's not just viewing someone as human. I mean, that's just a very important starting point because it's really easy to be cruel uh, and awful when you dehumanize somebody and view them as somebody else. That's historically what we've done as a species. So empathy, um, you know, the, the definition of it I've uh, noticed is most common is the ability to actually feel the feelings of another person. So somebody is feeling something, you're able to actually feel at least a sense of it. It's not necessarily like intellectual. The actual mental part of it, of actually like being like caring and wanting to do something about it, that's actually compassion and that's a little different. Empathy is just the feeling part. And actually empathy is something um, many people don't even have to like try to do. It just happens automatically often more than they want it to. So like if you're like an empath or you're highly sensitive to the emotions of others, you might get bowled over by somebody's sadness. It might actually overwhelm you. Now it's not just their fault. It's actually um, something that your body's doing as well to like react and respond, maybe inflate the emotions of, of others sometimes too. But in fact, either way, it just shows that we are literally like hormonally and like neurologically connected. Someone's feeling something, it transits over to our mind and we create the experience as well. This is valuable. It can be difficult to process sometimes, but it's valuable and it's a good starting point to begin to understand others. So that's my view of empathy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, you know, it's funny, you, you talked about compassion and I believe that largely empathy leads to compassion. Uh, they're sometimes. not the same. They're not the same. Well, they can. I, I, find, I, I think it's hard to have compassion if you don't have empathy. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would say it's almost impossible probably impossible to have real compassion for others without having some, some empathy, um, being able to understand and see people's wholeness and people's brokenness and, and, and have compassion for, for brokenness and, but also maybe have joy for their, their wholeness. You know, I, often we look at empathy and we always think about bad things. We think of, we connect it to some sort of, you know, something's wrong with somebody and I need to sh show empathy, but I think we can show empathy when things are great. We, you know, we can, in fact, that's probably easier. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think compassion uh, comes out of empathy. Um, and there, uh, I've seen some, some research on that as well. Um, so I'm curious again about what's causing, what's causing this current kind of, Empathy's in the air, and empath people are talking about it. It's, you know, I'm seeing even training pro empathy training programs, which mm. I don't know what that is exactly, but but um, I think you know the I think the, the pandemic had a lot to do, or is having a lot to do with the way people are starting to think about bigger things, you know. Mm. Uh, and curious, what what are your what are your thoughts? I wonder. Um... Yeah, I don't know when, when there's like a, a training called empathy, I don't know whether they're talking about empathy or compassion um, because people tend to mash the two. Because let me, let me add to this. I think it's theoretically possible to have compassion without empathy because you don't necessarily need to physically feel what someone is feeling. There just needs to be a mental understanding that they're suffering mm -hmm. and and the feeling that arises doesn't have to be that what they're feeling. You don't have to feel their sadness, but you feel you can physically feel a sense of care towards helping them. But that's not actually empathy. You're feeling your own feelings there. 
Empathy is feeling somebody else's feelings. So um, when people are talking about empathy and they're just talking about feeling someone else's feelings, it actually, I don't think is, is really uh, necessarily service oriented. Like it's not effective in terms of us being better agents in the world because the service oriented aspect comes into compassion because compassion is actually action oriented. Compassion comes from the understanding and the caring that somebody is actually suffering. And you don't even need to feel feelings for that. And in fact, I began to develop my compassion when I was completely alienated from my body. I was starting to work on compassion before I even knew like how to even feel the feelings of other people. Cause I had definite issues connecting with that. Uh, so, so, um, so I think the training can be in both cause it's really good to understand what someone's feeling. And if you're going to get a better understanding of it, feel it yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but ultimately that has to extend into compassion to be worthwhile. Um, so I'd like to just add like when, when, when you're when you're looking around and looking for these trainings in the world and and there's the word empathy and there's the word compassion it's good to explore what they mean by that because they might mean both they might mean either i have no idea everyone's just you know you know how it gets with definitions of stuff and, and, um, and sometimes it might mean sympathy i mean sometimes people you know they, yeah. they get all of those confused those yeah. are all all confused right so uh, and and it's interesting when i talking about training one of the things that i saw i Last year, I read a book called The War on Kindness. And in that book, talked about um, how do you, how can you teach empathy? Can you teach empathy? And I thought that was really, that was a big question. And I yes. really kind of pulled me in. <laughs> that sucked me in immediately. Mm. I was like, I got to read this. I got to find out. And what they did in this experiment was they actually, um, they got, they went to a prison and they t started a book club in the prison. And it was through reading novels mm -hmm. that they began to increase the empathy of these prisoners. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are hardened criminals who, you know, had never really shown any empathy. Mm -hmm. And they began to teach them empathy through reading these novels and being able to put themselves in the place of the hero or whoever it was in the novel. And we all experience that. It's a, and a great tool, for example, is movies. You go to a movie, we all have this experience of, you know, something's happening to the hero that we've identified with and, oh no, don't go around that corner. You're going to get killed. And we know, we, we feel what they're feeling. We feel yeah. their fear. Or we, and it, that's a great tool for training empathy. So uh, while sometimes I'm, I worry about these built courses and things and empathy, I think a, 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 maybe a greater tool is read more novels, go see movies, Put, you know, really get involved in them, attach yourself to those people and see what it feels like. And you begin to learn how to do this Yeah, yeah. Um, with, with real people, you know, on a daily basis, right? Um, so can it be trained? I think maybe, yeah, um, hopefully. <laughs> um, but I am curious about, you know, the pandemic. Has it played a role in shifting us? Not only... From, from an empathy kind of mindset or moving us towards empathy, but also has it moved some people to being more service focused, being mm -hmm. more about um, taking care of others? Mm -hmm. um, how is, and how is that going to influence business and the workplace? Because business, you know, is a big influence on our lives. It's a big piece 
of what we do. Like it or hate it, we, we, we all work and we, uh, we have to deal with empathy and service and all these things. And has the pandemic started to nudge us in a different direction? Mm-hmm. I've seen a little bit of it in the workplace um, and um, with some of the people that I've been working with, I've seen this, this subtle shift in thinking. And I know you do a lot of stuff with, you know, shifting thinking and moving mindsets mm-hmm. and things like that. But what, what's your take on any of that? Mm-hmm. I want to set the table a bit with this uh, statement actually, uh, because I'm curious what you think of this firstly. So I think when you're reading a novel and you're feeling something, you're not feeling empathy. You're feeling sympathy because you're, you're observing an experience. It's reminding you of what that might be like, and you're feeling it. And you're feeling compassion if your heart's quivering and you, and you care for this person that you're reading about and you want to help them. Because compassion is like, it's, it's abstract. You know, it's, it's in the mind. When you're watching a movie and you're feeling pain, it's, or seeing the news and you're, and you're maybe seeing people suffer, or you're in person talking to someone and, and, and they're suffering and you're feeling it, that's probably empathy because empathy is sensory, right? So empathy isn't something you're creating as much. It's much, it's like you're actually, it's being transmitted to you like directly through the senses. Now it might sound like empathy isn't something that can be trained as much, but it can when you train somebody in emotional awareness, you start by training them in awareness of their own emotions and they'll be more like naturally able to pick up the emotions of others and, and, and understand them um, when, or understand what they're feeling when, when they feel them. Um, and compassion is the most trainable because it's all just simply you're, you're training somebody to care. Um, of course you have to train them to want to care, which means you have to go deeper than just compassion training. It has to go, it has to go into like actually the purpose behind it. The pandemic maybe increased our tendency towards compassion because we haven't had enough contact with people to develop our empathy skills because you, you need contact for that, in my opinion, but you can care for others. You can always develop care for others. You can develop compassion in complete isolation. And uh, that is a good opportunity to, because this particular kind of isolation was very sobering and it kind of reminded us of what's important and it kind of gave us a sense of collective struggle. And I think that can kind of really, begin to uh, increase our, our uh, ability and, and willingness to serve. So I think it kind of had that improvement there. You hit upon something I'm really interested in right now, and that's training people to care. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm totally of the belief that the key, possibly the fundamental key to great service is learning, is, is learning to care. Mm-hmm. You know, caring for the well-being of others, caring about the quality of your work. Um, those go hand in hand, you know, so that you can deliver the value that, that people came for, whatever that is. Um, uh, you, you've also hit upon, you hit upon the idea that we have potentially become more compassionate or are learning to bring back our compassion, so to speak, um, with the pandemic. One thing though, that on the flip side of that though, that I have seen is actually more anger more mm-hmm. negative emotions really coming out um, and people lashing out and mm-hmm. um, particularly, you know, in, in customers lashing out at employees, you know, I didn't get my, I didn't get my soup wasn't hot enough, you know, or whatever it was um, seeing more of that. And that's disturbing. 
That's 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 disturbing because it's almost like we're at two. We've got two ends of the coin going on. We've got this uh, lashing out, but at the same time, we've got this compassion, and it's almost kind of this bipolar kind of thing that's in the air, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'm not sure what why that is. Uh, I'm not sure where that's coming from. I know that there's a lot of frustration. A lot of people are frustrated with their workplaces because we've seen that with the quote unquote great resignation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing, but we're seeing that for some frustrations there, but we're seeing like, like you were talking about more compassion at the same time, you know, these stories, these horrible stories of people dying in hospitals, not being able to touch their loved ones and all those things. And, and seeing more and more people telling these stories and talking about it and, and you know, this outpouring of, of compassion mm-hmm. and, and care for others. So it's it's a it's a very kind of strange time it seems, um, particularly if you're in a service field. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, in some ways there's a lot of opportunity <laughs> in in all of that to be a really great service profession. Um, yeah. What do you think of this though? Like so, this idea of collective struggle, right? So we now more have a heightened sense that other people are suffering right? And that other people have something to be upset about or something to be scared of that's legitimate, right? And that was always the case. (laughs) People always had something to to suffer about. People always had legitimate stuff to be scared about. People always had wounds they were carrying, right? The thing is, we, we never saw that. We were never willing to see that when somebody was being a jerk. So like you're serving at a cafe or something, someone's being impatient and and rude well something is taking too long and you're just like that guy's a jerk and end of story closed book let's go complain about them and that'll be my form of processing this right but now it's like there is more protocol around okay people are in a tough time right now Maybe they lost loved ones. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they, now we know we have this like inventory of possible sources of suffering that we can kind of use. We can kind of apply to the situation saying, maybe they're having a bad day because of these things that I know people are struggling with right now. Maybe I can have some compassion and understanding and empathy, whatever you want to call it, um, in, in dealing with them. And I don't have to see them as just a jerk. I can see them as the result of their suffering and maybe I can see how I can help ease that suffering. So that was always that was always the call to action. You could always do that. You don't need a pandemic for that. People people had people dying of cancer in their lives. People themselves are dying of cancer. People got absolutely abused at their job or in their relationship. But like you know, it's just like whatever. That's their stuff. <laughs> but well, now, you, but but do you you you're pointing out something really interesting because this goes back to one of your former guests and. You have to say his name. He's the bartender. Dushan Zarich. Oh, yeah. He's a great guy. Um, and he does this great, he gave this great example of, you know, somebody comes to the bar and they're being a jerk. Mm-hmm. And he tells this story about them. You know, maybe they just broke up with their 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 partner and they've had problems and this, that, and the other and run that through your head. And so instead of being a jerk back to them, think about those possibilities. Think about all the things that might possibly be there. And what's funny is I actually use this in my work. I call it considering the iceberg. And you consider the fact that there's a whole lot of stuff going on that you know nothing about, right? You, you don't know what's under there. 
you only see what's at the top. And just consider that. Consider that stuff and try to be helpful rather than hurtful. You know, it, it, it works really well with people. Um, and if they can continue to practice it, as your guest you know, said, if you can continue to practice that, it can make a difference in how you serve. It can make a difference in your entire life um, with how you deal and work with people and interact and encounter people. Um, and I think if anything, it's good, you know, there's, and there's, there are some good things that have come out of this terrible pandemic time. One of those is that I think it's given us this inventory of, of possibilities for things that might be causing or might be you know, causing the tip of the iceberg that we see. And I think that's a, that maybe that's a good thing. And, and, but it is something we should be able to use. And in fact, I saw it. I was in a, in a store, we were doing something and this guy was really being a jerk to this. And the manager was there and he took the employee aside and I could hear him. And he said something to the effect, you know, you don't know, maybe this, maybe this guy lost somebody due to the pandemic and he's just lashing out and this, that, and the other. And it changed the, the performance of the person at the counter. Mm-hmm. They came back and they were like, how can I help you, sir? I'm really sorry about this, that, and the other. And it, it changed the dynamic of the whole encounter. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really cool how it worked. You know? That's so, an important principle because um, people, People are always acting like that because there is there is some sort of suffering. No one does that when they're happy, right? No one does that when they're fulfilled and everything's going well in their life. There was some sort of drama uh, that led to that. There had to have been. That's that's the rule. That's like the rule of the cause and effect emotional. It's human. Pain, it's it's right? just it's, it's yeah. us being human, right? Yeah. But the. There's, there's, I think some, some nuance to explore here. So uh, I recall that interview with Dushan. I mean, we've had a few and they were all amazing. Um, he's just a, yeah, a, a, a dear kindred spirit. And uh, he says, I uh, said a really provocative statement that he tells to his team. Cause he's a, well, more than just a bartender. He's, he runs many bars. He's like a bar leader, basically a business leader in the bar world. And he, um, he tells his team like, okay, you know, like picture that like totally done up girl who's like prissy and snobby and like complaining and like, ew, there's bits in my drink. I don't want it and stuff. And it's like this girl, whatever you see on the surface, she probably has a broken heart, right? And that's a really powerful statement because, you know, it's it's hard to see that when somebody just looks like they're looking down on you, right? right. Now, what does someone do with that information though, right? Like, let's say you're kind of bringing your mind there to feel empathy for them. You're like, they probably have a broken heart. What if they're thinking like, good, they're vulnerable. Good, like good, I have something on them. Because there could be a power struggle sometimes, right? Let's say, I don't know why this example is coming to mind, but let's say you've got like a Russian oligarch or something who's there and being like, get me a drink bitch like you're my you're my servant i look down on you you know like just like somebody is like a villain villainous kind of character and you kind of want them you kind of want them to be suffering and actually it can start to get a bit schadenfreude like right where it's like i i really like the idea of them suffering because that brings them down a notch because they're they're trying to bring me down and so when is acknowledging someone's suffering a tool for empathy but when is it a tool to you know, actually have um, a more hostile attitude towards them because of how much you feel pushed down by them. And I know this involves mindset shifts, but um, it can be hard. So I'm curious um, how how you would uh, how you would work with that. Well, I think I, I myself I always come from the perspective of how can I be helpful, not hurtful. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what, even if they're being that way, 
uh, first of all, you don't have to put yourself into a secondary position. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you're the, the only one that can do that to you. You know, mm-hmm. they, they can talk down to you all day long. Doesn't mean you're secondary to them. Yeah. It also doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. It means you who are, you are who you are and you, be, and you can be proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also believe you, we are here to be helpful to each other. And when that person is being that way, you know, get them their drink. Mm-hmm. Just get them the drink. It's not the end of the world. Um, just be helpful. And you don't know, maybe tomorrow he's a different person. Maybe he's just not that way all the time. You don't know. You just don't know. You know, there's a great story Simon Sinek tells about driving down the road and somebody cuts you off on the freeway and you have two choices. You can either look at that person and say, wait a minute, maybe they're late for a job interview. They're freaking out. They, they, they got to get over. They've got to get to this job interview. They're, they're out of their minds with anxiety, et cetera, or they're a jerk. It's one of the two, right? But, but what is going to kill you? Just let, let them in, let them get over. And, and you, you get to work two minutes later mm-hmm. than you would have. You know, it's not going to hurt you. Be helpful, not hurtful, because you don't know where they're going. You don't know what they've got going on. Um, and just, you know, what would it do? What, 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 how could that change our world, mm-hmm. right? How can that change everything if we act that way? I think what you're talking about here is keeping yourself clean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, cause you really can't control others. And no matter how much of a jerk they're being, um, that, that actually doesn't even need to affect the kind of person you want to be. Right. So, uh, do you, do you have ways of like inspiring uh, the people you work with to just like remain consistently the person they're happy being, you know, cause actually, you know, after you would perhaps like talk back or like say that self-righteous thing, you don't feel good about it after most of the time. It's like, Oh, I wish I did. I wish I didn't bite into that apple of temptation because actually um, I would have felt better just kind of being a lot more dignified and being a lot more caring and and being a lot more patient. And so um, how do you inspire people to kind of to, to maintain that? Because it is, it is tempting to make that comment and to like, and like take that jab um, that, that you will regret later. The people, the people that I've worked with, um, you know, I, I worked in the restaurant industry for quite a while, and and the best people, and the the people who are great at, at being able to hold their, for lack of a better term, hold their cool, and not bite out of that apple, were the people that practiced it, and they practiced it all the time. In fact, I had one guy's name was Patrick, and he told me he said, yeah, I I asked him, I said, how do you do this? You people yell at you, and you're so cool. He said, I practice it. Yeah. This is something right. I have to practice. I it's a skill. It is a skill. And you, yeah. you know, and, and, but after a while, just like anything, it becomes second nature. Mm. It becomes second nature to just I let that roll off my back and realize there's probably something going on for them that I have no clue. So why do I just heap more on them and make it worse? Right. Um, instead, let it go. And, and, Get them their food or their drink or whatever, and we'll go. I'm curious what you think about um, this sort of skill of kind of maintaining the higher ground, whatever you want to call it. And some people are really good at doing it mm-hmm. on the surface, but inside they're suffering, and inside they're 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 gonna they're they're moving towards burnout. 
you know, and I, I work with people a lot on, on keeping themselves clean on the inside too, but I'm curious what you think you think people are missing when that's occurring. That's a really, really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think potentially what people are missing is they, they do exactly what we're saying they should do is they begin to think of themselves as some secondary subservient right. being um, instead of thinking, you know what? Um, and I know this is going to sound really idealistic, but instead of thinking, you know what, I'm going to be helpful and that's changing the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really big. That's a big deal. Um, rather than he's making me feel like I'm a lesser human being. That doesn't do anything. Whereas you turn around and you say, you know what, in, or, in somewhere up here, you're, you're thinking to yourself, what am I making this world if I just do that? If I just let them beat me up instead of saying, you know what, I'm still going to be helpful and I'm not going to let you do that. I think that's empowering. And it's, it's at least for me, that makes me feel good about myself. You know, take, I, I'm not taking that low road. I'm taking a really high road, mm. you know? And, and I think sometimes we, we, we begin to think, what is somebody else going to think of me if I take that high road? They're going to think I'm a wimp, you know? No, who cares what they think? What do you think? I'm taking the high road and I'm, I'm a better person for it. But I'm not going to treat somebody else bad because of that. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that high road. I want to make the world a better place. I think maybe that's a better direction to go. Um, I know that's hard. Again, it's a practice. It's not going to happen the first time you, you do this. You're going to sit there and say, wow, I feel great about myself. But I think over time you begin to think, well, I'm, I feel better about myself because I'm able to handle this mm-hmm. in, a, in a positive way, in a good way. So, Yeah, I think, I mean, I think idealistic is great. I mean, the, the thing is you just need, if you're going to like propose an idealistic reality, as long as you have the practices and methodologies to get yourself there. And, you know, a lot of, People, a lot of people write books that talk about endpoints that are like really great to hit. Hey, if you're doing this, your life will be better. How do you do it? Oh, never thought of that. And a lot of companies do this too. Um, even on much less idealistic levels, they simply um, ask for results uh, without talking about the processes for getting those results at all whatsoever. <laughs> We've both seen lots of books about it. We, we even talked about this the other day. Yes. And I'm not going to mention which book you talked about. But you you name one specific book and, and and but it's like so many others where they talk about here are all these problems and, and yes you can change it and they never tell you what to do to do it never because their research just simply showed when well, when people think like this it's better when people don't think like this it's bad so think like people like this but they never really looked at how people begin to think like that you know right. yeah give give me a step by step how do I begin again this gets back to practice how do I begin to practice. How, how do I begin to make this real for myself? It's very much like gratitude. You know, people talk about gratitude. Have gratitude. Be grateful. Be grateful. Blah, 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 blah. Well, the greatest practice I've ever heard or the greatest way to start that practice is to start journaling. You know, is to, mm-hmm. I, and I know a lot of people that do this. Um, my son does it. In fact, you, you, you know, you get up in the morning or, or before you go to bed at night, and you think, what are three things I'm grateful for? Right. And you write those three things. But that's a great step one in your process. You know, how do you make this part of your life? And after you do that, after a while, you don't even have to do that. You just begin to think about your whole day. 
you know, all through the day, you're thinking, of, wow, I'm, I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for that. And I'm, you know, all these things I'm grateful for. And it, maybe it's a little Pollyanna uh, of me, but I think it does make people change. It's part of a practice. And, and I believe that with this, what we were talking about a minute ago, you need that practice. You need to be able to sit down and say, you know, how can I be helpful instead of being hurtful? And the more you begin to do that, it, it, it becomes second nature. It becomes part of what you do. And I don't feel beat down because of it. Here's my question too. How do you practice gratitude towards things that are unpleasant? That's always my challenge to people who, who act like, oh, you know, life's better when you have gratitude. So I just have gratitude for stuff. It's easy. I just write down things I'm grateful for. I'm always challenging them saying, how would you apply those principles to things that aren't pleasant? And they have no idea what to do because gratitude isn't a Pollyanna practice. Gratitude is a practice of piercing through whatever the mind is telling you about how much a situation sucks and finding the value in it. And that's what you do when you're of service. You know, you're, you're finding, you're finding value maybe where there wasn't value before. And I, that's why I think gratitude is so powerful for um, a service professional. Actually, I need to probably post a gratitude practice more often because I think it's amazing prep practice. Um, do you know, do you have any ways, Neil, of finding gratitude for uh, difficult situations? Because for those, you actually need protocols. Um, and those, you actually need to use a step-by-step, I found. I was going to start this with, I have no idea. <laughs> but I will give you something that I was that a, a college professor many, many, many moons ago told me. He said, you should always be thankful for the things you have, but be thankful for the things you don't have as well. Mm-hmm. 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 Because sometimes the things you don't have would be the things that might kill you. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking too about um, gratitude. People, when they tend to have gratitude for things, it tends to be selfish. It tends to be like, I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for all the things in my life. I challenge people to go beyond that. Are you grateful for things that you do not possess? Are you grateful for things that make other people happy? Are you grateful for things that are neutral, but just as dignified, you know, are you grateful for that desk, you know, and all the labor that went into creating it for you? And, and can, can this continue to be expanded um, into things that are not obviously pleasant at all? Maybe they suck. And, but in some way, and for someone, they are beneficial. And I think that's a really powerful practice to stretch your abilities. There was a, my, my daughter rides horses. And, and when she was younger, she took horse lessons at, at this stable where this woman, um, had this really nasty kind of grating voice. Yeah, she would yell at the kids and tell, stay on that horse, put your feet, your your heels down. And, and she had this kind of raspy voice. And we, I got to talking to her one day. She said, we were talking about gratitude. So, you know, she said, you know, you, you should be grateful when you get stuck in traffic. And she, you know, you can just hear it while you're now. You should be grateful when you, you get stuck in traffic. What? Why? She said, well, because it gives you time to, to think about things you probably never would have been thinking about before. Mm. It's, it's given you time. It's given you a, a chance to shut down for a little bit and, and, and observe and see things around you. And it, so, I, you know, little things like that really kind of change your frame of mind. You know, mm. you think, how could you possibly be grateful for being stuck in traffic? And now I'm going to be late to something. You know, and her, her response was basically, well, is there anything you can do about it? No. Okay. Then what's good in it? You got the time to sit here and think about stuff. It's unfortunate how it was packaged though, because 
grading voice aside, maybe that was probably adding to it, but just to be like, <laughs> you should have gratitude. That's the whole problem. And that's why people struggle with the practice because they think they should. And then when they don't, they're frustrated and they're failing at gratitude. And there's really no should at all. Like if you can't find anything, then don't worry about it. You know, um, there's no, there's no shoulds. It's just kind of like an opportunity. Like what is, what else is here? Besides whatever well, my mind is telling me, because well, regardless of what jump to the negative, what regardless of the words she used, I yeah. took it that way. I took yeah, it yeah. as you've got an opportunity here. Sure. Know? Sure. You know? That's so, better. You've got an opportunity. Shoulds, shoulds never work for practice though. Should, shoulds are always big blocks for people. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, true. Very, very true. Mm-hmm. And I took it from her the way she said it. And she, I don't know whether she used the word should or not, but yeah. um, I took from her, you know, you have an opportunity. You have this opportunity to, 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 to spend some time with yourself and spend some time um, and maybe being late to work or being late home isn't that big a deal, you know, in the scheme of things. And maybe having that time was, maybe you needed that time. Maybe it came, maybe it was a gift, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of different ways of framing it to see it differently, you know, um, my wife's really good at that. She's great at that. She she tends to be able to see something wonderful in in things that are like, that I'm I'm falling apart. She's she thinks, wow, this look at it this way. You know, she's good at shifting that that conversation. Yeah. That That's way. the thing. It's just it's hard to do because the your whatever emotional state you're in, and whatever thinking patterns come from that are 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 going to make. The, the ideal meaning like, oh, seeing the, the wonder and the beauty in something just not work. That's why I think fundamentally people need um, to, to just train, train themselves to handle, feel, understand their emotions and understand and understand the thinking that's filtering whatever they're seeing. So this leads me to something. And we, we talked about this briefly earlier mm-hmm. um, in our little pre-talk. Let's shift this back into the world of work yeah. and the world of, of, of service. How do we get, how do we help people who are in a quote unquote service role or fundamentally are in a service role? How do we get them to shift their thinking and begin to practice so that they are more able and more capable of handling those situations where they get you know, Boris, who comes up and, you know, that guy that you, that you were able to do. A His name's Evgeny. Evgeny, okay. But how do we get, you know, how do we help them to begin to shift themselves from, I'm getting beat up, I'm getting hurt. How do we begin them, how do we get them to start working on that practice? The practice of, look, I, I think about this differently and be helpful. I don't know. I just tell them what they should do. And if they don't, they suck. They failed. I'll write that down. Yes, I'm a hypocrite, aren't I? I am a hypocrite because I just talked about shoulds, didn't I? Um, yeah. How? Like from 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 ground zero, let's say. Or let's put it better. Once a person like you or I get involved, and I don't usually get involved in situations like that. I get involved in those more, more on a bigger, on a bigger mm-hmm. scale. I'm, I'm not working with individuals as much as I'm working with maybe a group. Mm-hmm. Regardless, how do we get people you know who who have been beat up? They're now at the point where I hate my job, I hate work, I hate, I don't want to be in service. And being in service sucks. Nobody should yeah. have to serve, or only people that serve. The only people that serve are people that suck. 
Right. 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 And, and, and that comes from a whole lot of places because that's kind of a sentiment of society. You know, right. service roles are mocked, laughed at. You know, it's a good first job. Maybe they'll get a real job later. Uh-huh. We hear things like that about service roles, which I think is completely wrong. Uh-huh. And um, so how do we get someone to move when they're in that world? And it's, it's like they've been maligned and beat up to begin to make this shift into, you know what? I can, I can, I can make the world a better place though. Right. That's, I have a big job. I have a really important job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we move them? How do we, you know, what, what, what are your words? Mm. Shifting. And that would be to shift somebody's mindset regarding the job they already have without changing the job, perhaps. Yeah. I'm, let's, let's, let's put it in real world. You, you're working with a restaurant staff and you've got some servers who are just, they're done. You know, they, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I hate this. But they're they're putting themselves into a position. That even if they quit that job, they're going to go somewhere else, and they're probably going to they'll be in some sort of service role. You're in service yes. to somebody everywhere, and they find themselves in that same position again. How do we how do we begin to help them see service is a noble noble thing that you can um, inspire others with? Yeah, let's yeah. put that way. I think really what's important, especially in a work culture, is to see what matters to them. What's important to them? you know, what, what, ins- what inspires them and also what kind of, and then you can get to like what impact they want to make, if they want to make an impact, if they have that, if they have that thinking, not everyone thinks like that. Um, but like, you know, what's, what's important to them for somebody to care about like the service they're giving, um, which is often, often not exactly how they want to do it. Like, you know, like cut them loose in the world to make an impact. They would probably want to do so in a way that is different than the protocols of the company, right? Um, so that that means that you need to work to connect how they would want to make an impact outside of the world if they were totally unchained um, with the, the particular way that the company wants to make an impact. That that connection has to be made. You cannot force it by simply telling them <laughs> telling them how important their work is. Um, simply telling them, um, and I mean, some companies do this even worse. It's kind of like they just talk about the mission. They talk about the value of service. They talk about results, right? They don't talk about, they don't do anything to actually say, like, what matters to you? Like, what would, what would be a good day for you at work? What would be meaningful encounters for you to have? And then using, using that as a means of, you know, playing into their particular strengths, playing into their particular uh, values and, and connecting them. Cause that, that always, that always has to, that always has to be the source. Like, and no matter how much like hot air I blow about the value of service, if it isn't something that speaks to something that's already alive in them, something that already matters to them, it's, it really, it really isn't relevant. They shouldn't be listening to me. <laughs> I have to, they actually already have to have something there. So I think understanding that. And when I work with people, when I coach people, I work to understand what's important to them first, rather than telling them what's important to me or what is just important or some abstract philosophy about, you know, from, from Swami Vivekananda about how spiritually fulfilling service actually is. That doesn't mean anything <laughs> to them until I know, until I know what's important to them. Cause um, I think that's key. That'd be the starting point. There's a lot of other stuff you have to do after that, but that, that's no, a, I know, I know. That's I'm a starting just, I'm, point. I'm processing. I'm processing. So that that's um, my question of like, how do companies 
begin to understand their people so that they connect can connect their mission to the mission of their employees. Well, this is like a big Zappos question. did. Like Zappos and what's well, it called? There's another company that did that. First of all, companies need to understand why they're in business. And I think most of them don't. No. Um, I think most companies, uh, they rely on the old, old story of business. We're here to make money. Yeah. It's all about the money. It's all about the number. Hit numbers, make money. Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem with that is that's not why business exists. It's not its purpose. Yeah. Business's purpose is to help people. It's help people accomplish things. And it doesn't matter. Uh, you can name any business and I can tell you this is how they help people. Um, in fact, what's funny is when my, my kid was, my son was younger and he played, he played lacrosse and we would go to these lacrosse games and stand on the sidelines and you'd be there with other parents and there'd be parents from the other team and you'd meet somebody and start talking. Of course, it would come up to, who do you work for? And they would say, oh, XYZ Industries. What do you guys do? Oh, well, we help people, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. It's almost invariable. We help people do something. And it's, it's proof to the pudding that that's what business is for. It's to help people. And if you could get, you can get uh, a business to really understand that and begin to say, okay, folks, we help people do this. Mm -hmm. This is what we help people do. Let's talk about your role and how do you actually fit in? How do you help those people do that? How does what you do help them do that? You know, and you have the person who's in accounting who never sees a customer, never has seen a customer ever to be able to realize that, hey, look, if I don't pay our bills on time, we can't get product for this company so that our team members can deliver what our customers need. That's how I, that's my piece in the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So I am in, also in service. And once you begin to get everybody in, into the, the, the frame that they are deliverers of service, that they serve, just like the person on the front line, you begin to shift an organization. You begin to start, it becomes a being about service focus. Mm -hmm. It becomes, this is what our company does. We help people do this. And everybody in this organization is part of a chain of helping people do that. Mm -hmm. That begins to shift how you think about your job. You begin to see that if I don't go to work today, I'm really screwing my, the guy next to me. And then ultimately that's screwing the customer. I really need to think differently about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. the quality of my work, my concern for others. That I believe that begins to come together when, when you when when you uh, click that light bulb on. Yeah, I've actually seen it. I've seen people who go, "Wow, I, I never thought about it that way. I never thought about how I connect." Mm -hmm. And once they begin to see that, it changes how they want to do their job. Actually, it has me thinking about an interesting counterpoint to what I said. I'm going to actually be my own devil's advocate because what I've said might not work in every organization, right? Um, we, were, we were talking about Disney in one of our conversations, right? Now, here's an organization that is service-oriented um, in, in some ways that I think are awesome. In some ways, you know, a culture at that scale has its own challenges, right? Um, they wouldn't even dream of being as personal with each of their employees as I've just described of like really connecting their employees like 
individual priorities to their mission. You know, with their tens and thousands of like staff members per location, um, really that's not a factor. In fact, I would say it's probably a pretty impersonal place to work. You're called a cast member. You're there to play a role. You're not there to be yourself, you know? And yet everyone there really wants to do it. They really want to rise to their role. And I think because there's some sort of example that Disney sets, because people can kind of witness like the machinery that they're part of and the magic, kind of seeing the magic and the impact of what they're creating. It's maybe more tangible, maybe more palpable, whether you're like sweeping up or you're, you have some higher, higher level role. People are like literally drinking the Kool-Aid of service without, again, the, without the company caring about them that much at all. So, But again, we go back to, and I believe this at Disney, I've taken some training down there and I've been there several times and experienced it and, and, they have been very, very clear. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. This is what we do. We, we help people. We make people happy. You know, uh, they talk about, and we joke about the happiest place on earth. Well, you know, that's what we want to do. They want to make, let's make the happiest place on earth. And I know that there are people that work there. there, there there's got to be plenty of people who are unhappy there. It's too large of an organization not to have a few people that are not on that are there's un- a huge proportion people. of really happy people too that work really hard. And I, I know. I'm not debating that. I'm saying there's yeah. a huge number of people that are happy, but then there are some that are unhappy, just like yeah. anywhere. Yeah, like anywhere. Right? Yeah. But overall, I think they've done a really marvelous job at being able to tell people, that, you know, this is what we do, mm-hmm. and it's not about. You know, they don't sit around and talk about, well, you're not hitting your bottom line. You're not doing, no, it's, are we making people happy? Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, a kid drops an ice cream cone. They don't immediately go over there and say, well, how much is that going to cost us as a company? It's your kid. Here's another ice cream cone because we want to make you happy. We want to take care of you. Right. And then, and that's part of the culture. That's the way it works. And I think it changes the dynamic when you can, if an organization can understand we're here to serve, we're here to help people. And everybody is empowered to do it. I, I think it changes how you go to work. I think it changes that all of that. Right. And you begin to work on those things and you do. And you, but this, this also requires that you care for the people inside the organization as well. This is not just about, you know, do all this stuff and just take care of the people on the outside of the organization. You have to take care of the people on the inside. You know, if, 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 if this person is down and out and they're, they're having a bad time. Let's find out why. Let's work with them. Let's talk to them. Let's coach them. Let's do whatever we need to do to try to help that person get better. If you're not doing that, then you're not, you're not going to be a service organization because you're not serving your own family, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know? So do you know if Disney does that like beyond fits and spurts? And, and I know they do, they, they have programs and stuff to like, um, support their employees and whatnot. Um, do you know if they have a- actually like generally supportive management in that regard, emotionally? Supportive? You know, I really don't. I don't know how that works. Um, I, I'll be honest. I don't know how that works, but I do know that there are companies that do uh-huh. um, and um, get, get good results from, from treating their employees really well. I get really tired of hearing people discuss, you know, is it customer first or employee first? And my real feeling is it's neither. Mm-hmm. It's service first. If you are willing to serve people, whether they're customers or employees, you take care of everybody. You don't have to worry about it. You know, it's the minute we start putting somebody else higher than somebody else. You know, we say, well, it's customers first. Well, you're screwing your employees. 
or it's employees first, but you're probably screwing some of your customers. Mm-hmm. How about you make service first, then you're serving everybody. You're make your you're, you're concerned for the well-being of of both of those groups. Right. And and you really, I mean, think about a workplace like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A workplace that knows we're here to help people, and we don't just do it on the outside; we do it on the inside too. That was good. That was a good mic drop. But uh, are there any other itches you want to scratch? This has been really fun. Really a lot of fun being able to, to trade, to trade, to hit the ball back over the net, back and forth. Well, thank you so much, Neil. I really appreciated getting a chance to shoot the ball back and forth as well. And I really look forward to everyone get else getting in on the conversation. So guys, definitely let us know any thoughts you had. Love to see you again soon. And Neil, do you want to tell people where they can find you and any kind of projects you're working on you want them to know about? Sure. Uh, you can. I'm easy to find. Neil Woodson, N-E-A-L-W-O-O-D-S-O-N dot net. Just go there. You can find out, uh, read my blog. You can, there's some resources and various things there. And um, there's also a way you can reach me there as well. So I'm um, happy to talk and dialogue. If you want to connect on LinkedIn, look me up and I'm always happy to connect there as well. Cool. All that will be in the show notes. Thanks again, Neil. That is all from us, friends. Remember to check out the show note links to... Go deeper down the Neil Woodson rabbit hole and check out the Serveconscious website. Get on the mailing list. Leave me a review on iTunes. It will mean a lot to me if you can offer some kind words or just a starred review so more people can find the Serveconscious mission. And that's all I'm going to ask of you right now. I just want you to have a great day. See you later.